Good morning, gentlemen. I'm going to interrupt your breakfast just for a minute, but don't worry, Paul, I'm not about to introduce you. Um, last month, we had an, uh, sort of a, a last-minute volunteer activity, and I want to thank all those who participated in helping getting chairs to the uh, great day of prayer. Um, but more importantly, I'd like to introduce Reverend Billy to you because he was in charge of that event and wanted to come by this morning and say thank you. Thank you, Eric. Good morning, everybody. I hope uh, breakfast is great. I know um, it's it's early in the morning, but I wanted to take a few minutes just to come and thank you personally. Um, each year we get together uh, to pray for our nation, and it's something that's been started by Congress in 1952. So this year was the 67th year uh, for the National Day of Prayer. I've been doing this for 15 years as the coordinator at Roswell City Hall and um, as a chaplain of the police department, making sure that we can bring our city together. So it's been a great uh, privilege and honor to see civic leaders, civil leaders, um, uh, our government leaders, churches coming together with media and military. So it's it's been uh, really um, a wonderful time to notice how, uh, though we are busy, that we can make time to come and pray. It's ironic that the last day uh, that Jesus called a prayer meeting, uh, he told his disciples, you know, to just bear with him in prayer for one hour. So there's a lot can can be done in one hour if you think about it because he prayed for for the entire the entire universe put it that way in one hour. So um, this is one hour per year that we come together to pray for our nation. As you know, uh, we we need in prayer now more than ever because of the uh, changing and shifts in in the way we think and reason right now. So um, I've been privileged to do this for 15 years. Um, this past Monday was 20 years that God. Brought me from Cape Town, South Africa, and uh, to be planted in Roswell. Roswell is my home city. I, I've been here ever since, been to 35 states in, in ministry, but this has been my hometown. So uh, I feel really at home with you, and I thank you so much for, for those that volunteer to come and assist us with um, uh, transporting some chairs. Everything is done on a volunteer basis. I Whatever's done financially, I do this from my pocket entirely. I've got a little pocket, but I want to make sure that um, nobody has an excuse to come uh, to pray. So everything is founded there. But thank you so much for those that come each, each year. It's, it's just one hour per year. And for those that took time, I didn't know all that were involved that came with the a beautiful trailer there and transported the chairs and, and put it back. In fact, the city used to uh, provide those chairs for past years and then... Suddenly, I got some, um, you know, pushback from from the city because of the so-called church and state separation, and you're all familiar with that. But um, nonetheless, um, we've, I've been plodding along ever since, and God has given us great favor with uh, our past government. We in, in the city, we of course have a brand new government. We have a new mayor and uh, new council members. Um, so having to uh, build a, a relationship with them, and uh, no, so but God has been gracious because. In the event of rain, uh, not only we are allowed to be in the faces of War Memorial, but we can have our prayer right in City Hall, in the City Council Chambers. How about that? So uh, God has given us tremendous favor, and it's not easy because many around the nation um, have been experiencing a lot of resistance and uh, had to move the prayer from uh, meetings uh, you know, in, in, the, in the government building. So thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And uh, if you can mark your calendars, it's always the first Thursday um, in, in May. Um, so if you could come and bring as many people as, as you could, it's a, it's a really powerful time. In fact, um, we have 30,000 plus events that's taking place simultaneously around the United States. Millions of people come together to pray. And uh, we have people that will take off uh, time from work 
um, these are non-Christians that will come and serve. We have the Atlanta mm-hmm. Wind Symphony. We have the military that will come, um, retired people that will come to support this event. So thank you, Eric, for this time. I wanted to come and thank you in person for all that you have um, assisted us with. So thank you. God bless you. Good morning again, gentlemen. I'm always pleased to see such uh, hearty conversations going on at the uh, at the breakfast table. I hate to interrupt them. Uh, you know, when you travel with a group of people after a couple of days, you can tell that they're so comfortable with each other that they no longer have to talk to each other at the table. They're, they're heads down trying to do that. We uh, Several of us have been on a choir tour. Tom Alderman, who spoke with, for us with us uh, last month, got back yesterday on the same plane I did and went straight to rehearsal last night, basically. And so um, I am appreciative right now that everybody's here this morning and alive and and, and communicating with each other. Um, I'm going to introduce our speaker this morning. And and, uh, and he, when he sent me his bio, he said, actually, read the words that I've written down. I said, how does he know me that well to know that <laughs> I, I, am, I am terrible for going off script? And so um, I've, I, Roger has loaned me... Um, Glasses, because this is my, this is my new crutch. I'm turning 50 this year, and the one thing that I've decided is if I actually have to read what's written, that means when I'm reading music especially, that it's important that I not make up the words. <laughs> and so, uh, thank you for, uh, I'm sorry Dave. I can't read that well. <laughs> there we go. These are good enough. So, um, I, I will say this off script before I, I introduce uh, Paul with his script. I think Paul and I met for the very first time at a uh, indoctrination meeting at, at RUMC. And the thing I remember about that, um, different ages and stages of life were represented. This was 20-some years ago. And I remember Roger, who's Roger Davis is not here this morning, so you guys can tell him I, he came up. He's traveling. Um, he's traveling. Um, and Roger introduced was introducing himself. And his first wife, and uh, the way he said that, Gail, his first wife, Gail is her name, correct? Yeah, that's correct. And we all know that, but I remember Roger, and this Roger, and this is my first wife, Gail, and I was like, wow, this is really a great church, even if they have new wives, that they're all still in meetings together. It's like, it really set, that it took me a while to untangle that. So, um, Paul's been here a little longer than that, but not much longer. So, our speaker this morning is Paul Silger. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Sliger, thank you. Well, reading is only half the problem, right? Paul was born in Miami, Florida, and has lived in Atlanta since 1968, with a brief exception. He attended the Georgia Institute of Technology, Go Jackets, where he studied chemical engineering. Currently, he is working as an IT development manager for a mid-sized travel management company. Paul is the husband to one wife. Pam, and has been married for 34 years, two months, and 28 days. You are from Georgia Tech. That was not in here. Um, Together, they have two children, Alex, age 24, and Nick, age 22. Nick graduated from UGA in June with a degree in risk management and holds a certificate in actuarial science. He needs a job. (laughs) Uh, Paul has been a member of RUMC for 23 years and has served on a number of committees around the church. Currently serves as head of the youth vision team and has been active working in various volunteer roles within the RUMC student ministries. And with that, I introduce Paul. Thank you, Paul. Paul. 
Thanks, Eric. Thank you for the uh, the introduction and the and the invitation this morning. The reason I asked Eric to read that is because I have some very specific things, uh, you know, about that. Um, some of you already know uh, me, and because I, I believe I've probably taught some of your adult Sunday school classes, uh, either in the far past or in the in the, in the near uh, past. But uh, most of my time recently has been spent uh, speaking and teaching with the Rosal Student Ministries, the youth program. But one thing I always try to do um, whenever I am with a group of uh, people who claim the name of, you know, of Jesus is I call it the three E's. I hope this morning that when you leave here that you will leave here uh, um, encouraged, um, in, enlightened and engaged. Those are my three E's. Um, encourage is basically means just that. I hope that, you know, maybe you got a little boost or something this morning. Um, I think it was C.S. Lewis who said, all real community starts when one person says to another, you too. Um, and secondly, I want to leave you enlightened. Uh, maybe knowing something that, you know, you didn't know when you walked in the door this morning. And third, I want to leave you engaged. I want to leave you challenged. Um, you know, giving you a call to action. Jesus' marching orders to his disciples weren't, wait here, I'll be right back. Now, if you don't know anything about me, one of the things you should know is that I'm a storyteller. I love stories. And it's just, you know, and the funny thing is my kids kind of roll their eyes when I start to tell some of my stories. Maybe you've experienced that yourself. But uh, it's just who I am. Um, so in the truest, I think in the truest sense of of we are all writing a we're all writing a story the story of our lives and the great thing is is that there's a lot of you in this room here today who've gotten an opportunity to play a part in my story and um uh, you know we talk about Roger Davis i remember gosh 20 years ago maybe um Roger was teaching a class here called Contagious Christianity and I can remember there's another gentleman Dick Biggs and I we used to walk in that in that class and we and we Dick and I would stick out our hands and shake each other's hands and say brother are you saved you know we just had a great time in that class um Bob Fletcher uh, another person who's you know normally here but I, I don't know where Bob is this morning but you know um I had the immense opportunity to sit under Bob in a couple of disciple Bibleship, uh, Bible study classes. And honestly, you know, those are, those are things that, that, uh, that really it, it changed my life. Um, Martin Connor sitting right there this morning, you know, Martin and another gentleman, Alan Greensmith, who used to go to this church, they invited me to attend the walk to Emmaus and that changed my life again. Um, I think of, of, uh, Bill Johnson, who used to attend this church. And Bill started something, you know, if you guys think, you know, 645 is early, we used to, we used to have a, uh, maybe some of you were in that program. We started at 6 a.m. on Friday mornings. Um, the old early birds. And Martin and I have, we don't, we're smarter now. We don't meet at 6 a.m. We meet at 7. But, uh, but we've kind of carried on that, that tradition for many, many years. Um, I, you know, I think about, you know, Pete Aubin and, and, and Jason Scott and others who invited me to, uh, you know, enter into this journey in Roswell Student Ministries. Um, and, you know, again, it's, I found, I found my place. I think of the many Sunday school teachers who I've been able to learn from, you know, from Mark Kramer and, and everybody here who has, you know, taught a class, for instance, that I was in or something like that. Um, all of you have had a part in my story. And I thank God for that. I wouldn't be who I am or where I am without you. 
Now, when I asked my wife, Pam, what what details should I include in my bio um, that, you know, Eric read? And she said, you should tell them that you're deliberate. And, you know, and that's true. I, I do take time with decisions and making decisions um, with some notable exceptions. Um, Eric mentioned the fact that I've been married to Pam for 34 years, uh, two months and 28 days. And yes, I did go to Georgia Tech, but that really has nothing to do with it. The fact is, is that I asked Pam to marry me 22 days after we met. Now, I don't recommend that, <laughs> um, but it's worked out in our, in, our, in our particular situation. And honestly, only God can be responsible for that. But the point of that and what I'm, t- you know, the point of that is that there is this thing that we call time. You know, the Greeks would have a word for it. They call it chronos. And it's, we live in this, t- this thing that pretty much flows by without us necessarily, you know, thinking too much about it or even taking notice of it. But every so often there are moments when God seems to step into our lives. We call it kairos, or they call it kairos. And the direction or the path of our life is altered. We may be acutely aware in that moment, or it may only be in hindsight that we know that something has happened of what has occurred. Another one of those moments for me, after meeting my wife Pam, but another of those moments occurred with for us, for me, in 1992. Some of you may have seen the short video testimony that I gave uh, in church. And I'll just share a little longer version of that here with you this morning. Like many of you in this room, I trusted Jesus as my Savior at a young age, um, mainly due to a fact that a preacher pretty much laid out the clear uh, differences between heaven and hell. And hell didn't sound like a great place for me, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. Now, lest any of you think that I wasn't sincere, I was sincere. I was sincerely not wanting to end up in hell. So, uh, but I spent the next number of years managing and directing Jesus in my life. You know, Jesus, help me with this. Jesus, don't let this happen. Jesus, protect them from that. You know, I was the managing director and the CEO of Paul Sliger Incorporated. And guess what? As far as I could tell, God was perfectly fine with that. Nothing really bad happened to me. It's been said that the devil will give you better if he can keep you from the best. And that's exactly what my life was. It was better. But you don't know what you don't know until you do know. Now, Pam and I were happily married with one exception. We had no children. We both wanted kids, but nine years into our marriage, we were childless. We'd been corporate transferred to New Jersey, and I was busy with work, and Pam went back to school to get her degree, a second wind student, I think they called it. I was intent on climbing the corporate ladder, and Pam got her degree from Rutgers. And we were thinking at that point in time that we'd, you know, settle down in the Garden State for a while. So after graduation, Pam was hired to a programmer position with Prudential Life Insurance in New Jersey, uh, in Newark. And one week before she was to start, she was told that an immediate hiring freeze was in place and her start date was delayed indefinitely. So to smooth her bruised feelings, she came to, I call it a busman's holiday, but she came back to Atlanta to visit some friends. And while she was here, our, our friends were, you know, Karen Lamar Chambers. And while she was here, she, she would 
peruse the uh, help wanted section in the journal Constitution, the classified ads. Remember those? Wow. Um, <laughs> she decided, and she decided to go on a job interview to keep her interview skills up. And lo and behold, she was offered what she felt was the perfect job for her in, with a small company in Sandy Springs. So after discussion, it was determined that I would start an immediate job search of my own in Atlanta. You know, after all, she'd sacrificed for me when we'd moved to New Jersey, so it was time for me to reciprocate. No problem, until it was. I struggled to find a position uh, while keeping my current employer blissfully unaware that I was, you know, of my plans. And the fact that I was a 13-hour car ride away from Atlanta further limited my prospects. So, after 13 months apart, from a phone in a townhouse in Howell, New Jersey, I told her it was time for this caper to end. She needed to come home. And she told me, wait for it, no. <laughs> now, her reasons were sound, but my pride and the old male ego were smarting. Remember, I was the CEO of my life. And suddenly, I could feel that the very carefully crafted pattern of my life beginning was beginning to spiral out of control. I asked her, what did that mean? Did she want a divorce? How was this? How are we going to manage this? How is this going to happen? How is this supposed to work? Again, her rational and reasoned approach to the issue, I say in hindsight, was spot on. But I wasn't feeling it. I was angry. I was confused. And frankly, I was hurt. And in my mind, and in my mind at that point in time, all the times when I had tried to make something happen and had failed, came rushing back to me. And suddenly, I don't know why, at the time I didn't know why, I cried out to God, God, please help me. I've tried to run my life and it's not working. I don't know what to do. Can you show me what you want for me? Won't you take control? Well, I'm sure that if anyone else had been in that townhouse, they wouldn't have heard a sound. But I heard a sound, I think Craig Rochelle calls it louder than words, that said, that's what I've been waiting for. And a sense of assurance came over me like nothing I've ever felt. I'd, I'd ever felt up to that point in time. I'm convinced that this was another Kairos moment in my life. That moment when I became not just a little bee believer, but a disciple of Jesus in the truest sense of the word. I was 39 years old. I'd been saved since I was nine. But it took 30 years for Jesus to become my master, the Lord of my life. I was still emotionally upset and confused, but in a deeper sense, someplace down in what you would might call my soul, I was calm. Like I knew this was going to work out. I didn't know how, but I just knew. And boy, did it work out. Three weeks later, I had a job in Atlanta. And six months later, we found out we were having our first child. Now, both these stories are miraculous in of themselves, and I won't take time to tell them now. I told you I was a storyteller. Now, I know that not everyone's story is a happily ever after story. I mentioned earlier that our friends, I mentioned earlier our friends, Karen and Lamar Chambers. Pam was a godparent to their daughter, Anna, who was five years older than Alex, our oldest boy. Anna was tragically killed in a freak, it's all you can call it, a freak accident when she was 12 years old. And that was a tough season for us to walk through with them. But my hope, my trust, is not in what I see, but what I can't see currently. And if you've never considered Jesus your master, 
and given him control of your life? Well, I'd hope that you'd at least give some thought to that today. You can't say you haven't been told. Now, I'd like for you to consider one thing regarding the big C, church. You realize this is the first time in history that we've had five, that we have five generations in many churches. Think about that. Great, great grandparents all the way through great, great grandchildren. Perhaps you've not thought about this before or the implications of that. Previously in history, we've had three, sometimes four generations in the church. As the oldest generation died off, the old, the, the next generation took their seat of leadership in the church, leading the church. And with five generations, the older generations are, aren't giving up their seat of leadership. And we are seeing and have seen a generation become disenfranchised with the church. The so-called nun, perhaps you've heard that. I experienced this firsthand about six years ago. One of the greatest joys I get from working with young people is via a mentoring, is via mentoring a confirmation class. I think it's arguably the best thing that we do for young people in this church. Helping a middle schooler to begin to own their own faith, and as Rusty Gordon likes to say, check your parents' faith at the door. It's amazing. We have some great adults, Mark, who teach an adult class so parents can hear what their, what their kids are learning and doing. As I say, six years ago, I had a young man who was a last-minute addition to a confirmation class. He came because a little seventh-grade friend of his said, You should come. I think you'd enjoy it. And so he did. The incredible thing was that this boy had never been to church in any capacity before. In fact, I think his parents dropped him off at church and then went to brunch. To my knowledge, they never attended a single parents class. When we came to our, one of the sessions that we teach is basically about the Bible. And so we came to that session. Um, naturally, you know, the assumption is that, you know, the students there, the kids there know at least some superficial surface knowledge of some of the bigger stories in the Bible. But this young man, he'd never been exposed to that. He'd never heard of the flood story or the exodus. Wait, what? You don't know about Noah? Or Moses? So how do you, you know, how do you start to begin to tell the story of God across the millennia, or much less how you fit into it when you're talking to a blank slate? He might as well have been an alien from outer space. Now, we spend a lot of time in youth ministry trying to convince teenagers to pursue a God they've never seen. How do you invite people to follow someone they can't touch or see or hear? And how do you move them towards an authentic and personal faith in a God who may, at times, I guarantee you, you felt it, seem vague, distant, or even unpredictable? It's a real challenge. But honestly, it's one that's going to become more common as we move into the next decade. How will we, as the church, relate to our spiritual great-great grandchildren. As an aside, it's, it's a, you know, I, I do work with, with youth, so I am, I try to keep up with some of the newer things that are out there. It's too bad that social media didn't exist a thousand years ago. Um, it would have been, it would settle a lot of issues for the, for the skeptics who are among us. Imagine if Moses had posted a picture of God writing the Ten Commandments on, on uh, Facebook. Or, or if, uh, uh, Peter had uploaded images of Jesus walking on water on Instagram. Or maybe even if John had posted a picture of Jesus ascending into heaven on YouTube. 
of course, if social media had been around, we could have settled the whole, you know, the whole, uh, um, uh, the dinosaur debate also. And of course, I, I'm kidding. Now, I don't remember who said it first. I might have been, might have been Reggie Joyner, but he said, every kid needs two important nouns, two anchors in their life. They need a person and they need a place. Well, and I say this with all thankfulness to all of you in this room. This church has an incredible, a world-class place for kids. But no one can see God. In the Old Testament, they referred to him as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In today's vernacular, he's the God of Mark, of Nancy, and of Chris. God uses people, period. He always has. The essence of our faith is that God actually became human so we could touch him, see him, and hear him. He decided the most effective way to redeem us was to become one of us, to prove how much he loves us. People can't see God. People can't see Jesus or the Holy Spirit. But people can see people who follow God. People can see the church. The best way to help kids know God is to connect them with someone who knows God. So last, I want to engage you to challenge you with this. If you will, can I have everybody in the room stand up where you are? As you're able. Thank you. All right. Here's here's the game. If you've been a Christian for more than 40 years, have a seat. Okay. Okay. So those of you who are still standing, if you've been a Christian for more than 30 years, you can sit. All right. Got a few left. Okay. If you've been a Christian for t- more than 20 years, 20 years now, go ahead and sit down. Richard, I'm not counting you. <laughs> All right. Guys, I think we got some work to do. We're supposed to be about our father's business. We're the agents of the kingdom. We carry his authority, and we've been told to exercise his power. So every day there is a mission. Jesus says that the wise man is the one who hears the word and puts it into practice. The fool hears Jesus' words but doesn't do anything with it. Discipleship is about being shaped and shaping people to be wise people able to hear and practice. If we receive anything, it's so we can give it away. Every disciple is tasked with leading someone. Jesus said so. My challenge to you this morning is this. Who are you discipling? Who's discipling you? Disciples disciple. Who can you engage with and encourage to attend gatherings like this? Yeah, I know it's early, but you are here because someone invited you. And Are you in a small group where you're holding one another accountable for living as a follower of Jesus? If not, would you consider joining or starting one? If you claim the name of Jesus, the church needs you. If you've got breath, God's not done with you. And just as one last challenge, and I'll put this out there. If you're, if you're so inclined to help us with, you know, mentor this next generation, we'd love to, we'd love to have you. We're always looking for Men who can help mentor young people. You have the experience that they don't, and we need you. So let me pray this morning, and we'll close us out. Father, I thank you for the men in this room. I am grateful for the role that many of them have played in my life, whether they know it or not. Lord, the I, I'm also thankful for their stories, because they have so much to share with others. Father, give us a boldness, give us a a heart to bring others into your kingdom. Give us 
wisdom and discernment in how to do that. Because as you say, we want to tell the truth, but we always tell the truth with grace and love. And, and, and so Father, just help us this morning. Put someone in our mind that we believe, you know, might enjoy a fellowship like this that and that might uh, want to take a step closer to you. So, Father, I just, again, thank you for this wonderful uh, group of, of men. And I continue, I just ask that you continue to bless them and bless them in ways that we could only say, that we could say only God could have done that. So, Father, again, thank you. And we pray all this in the precious name of our Lord, Savior, and the and our mighty, mighty uh, master, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Well, Paul, I would like to take a moment to, to thank. Sometimes a lack of planning is the right, right level of plan. Um, I could not have asked for a better setup for some, um, some things I would like to announce to the men's ministry for you guys to consider this morning. Um, I, you reach a point in your relationship with your children where the role starts to flip. You, you learn from them and what they do and what they don't do and how they choose to do things. And, you know, I, uh, consider myself wealthy beyond words to have, uh, you know, children who are approaching their world in a way that is courageous and, and I, I learn character from them. Um, my daughter Mary right now is a product of this youth department at some level. And, uh, when I see the way she's in Santiago, Chile for a semester right now, and when I see the impact that she has by just the way she behaves and what she does, I see God's plan playing out. I don't, I don't have to interpret the tea leaves a certain way. It's discernible. It's easy. It's concrete. And sometimes, you know, men need things crystal clear. Wife asks a question, you make a comment, she says no. What happens next? Real stuff, guys. This is a room for real stuff. And I appreciate Paul's testimony and being willing to share a real moment in his life and some of the the dividends that have come from uh, a relationship with a God that's bigger than us. Um, so two things. Uh, first of all, has anybody ever participated in something called the Man in the Mirror, a Man in the Mirror program? Anybody ever heard of Man in the Mirror? No. Oh, well, lots of hands went up there. Oh, I Six months ago, I hadn't heard of it. And um, I've heard of it now because we've started a Man in the Mirror project. You're going to be learning more about that. Um, we've got someone from Man in the Mirror who's been working with us. We've had two meetings. Uh, he will be speaking at one of the men's breakfasts in the next couple of months, and you'll, you'll hear more about that. But it goes to the heart of what Paul illustrated so beautifully by the fact that there were no men standing after the 20 years, you know, 20 years. Uh, there should be a supply chain here of people who were left standing. Um, I can tell you, having been uh, a mentor and been mentored by having conversations with youth who will still ask those impertinent questions that many of us have decided I can't ask that question one more time. It it shakes me too much for me to ask that question. When you hear it from somebody else that you have already you chosen to care about, it, it, it you know, shakes you up a little bit, and it's good to be shaken up a little bit. So there will be some man-in-the-mirror discussions coming forward. I want you guys to look forward to that. If you've had uh, uh, experiences with that, if you would introduce some of those experiences to me, that would help me because 
I'm a, a babe in the woods here a little bit, and I'm trying to, you know, understand how that can help our UMC. Um, we've already seen a dividend of a volunteer activity last month. I want to thank the guys uh, and and ladies who helped low chairs uh, a month ago. In August, we were first of all two two scheduling things. We're not meeting Fourth of July week. We will meet the week after that. Fourth of July week vacations just it just seems crazy. We will meet the week after Fourth of July. You'll get some notifications around that. <laughs> We were planning not to meet the first week of August because it conflicted with this room being used for the, anybody know? Anybody know? Garage sale, right? Big outreach, big outreach opportunity, big fundraiser for job networking, right? Um, but I said, well, wait a minute. Instead of not meeting, maybe we should collaborate. We should do something to help. It's an important thing. And so um, I would expect if uh, – us to be doing a volunteer activity here on campus that morning. So I am hoping we will we'll probably we won't have breakfast and gather as a group, but we will probably do a think of it as a, an on-campus outreach um, that morning. And I'd like from each table for you to pick one person for that one person to coordinate with me. And for, let's talk about it because it will be we won't be able to get the whole group together. It'll be better if we have a table by table kind of coordination. And if there's a table missing, as there are this morning, you know, I will try and find people from this table and this table, these imaginary <coughs> tables. Um, if you're traveling this summer and you cannot make one of these meetings and you'd like to participate, we do now have a podcast. Thank you, Doug. Uh, Tom Alderman's recording is already on that. And I'll thank you for getting that out. We will make this recording available today. I encourage you, you know, when you're being invitational to people, they don't know what they're being asked to go to. Um, listening to a recording is a non-confrontational uh, way sometimes for them to understand what what's talked about. How is it talked about? No one wants to, no one as a visitor wants to feel for the very first time, hey, am I going someplace I'm going to be uncomfortable? And lowering that expectation of uncomfort is a huge part of uh, getting people here. And especially if they've not been involved in church activities for 20, 30, 40, 40 years. Um, so more information coming out on the volunteer app, uh, opportunity for the August, I think it's August 2nd. But we will be involved as a support organization for, for, uh, the uh, garage sale. I think that's the best way for us to have a meeting that, that month. Um, I want to thank those of you who have been recommending speakers. Um, I'm looking, I'm excited. I haven't announced any of the speakers coming in the next couple of months, but, uh, you'll probably get some previews on that. I want to thank Paul this morning for coming and, uh, you know, sharing where he is. And I hope you all heard something that encouraged you, that enlightened you. What was the other one? Engaged you, engaged you. And, um, I thank uh, everybody for being here this morning. So, um, uh, spread the good word, gentlemen, and, um, look forward to seeing you again in a month.